Well, we want to be right. Amen? You want to be right. No one wants to be wrong. I mean, no one wants to go in and get all the wrong answers on a test. No one wants to be wrong in how you're doing whatever it is you're doing. No one wants to be wrong. You want to be right. I want to be right. We don't like to be wrong. We will go... I, I don't know if you're like me, but we'll, we'll go to great lengths to show how we're right, how we made the right choice, the right decision, that this is what we were thinking, this is like, you know, this, it made sense. We were right. Well, and, and we might think we're right. We might say, I know I'm right. No, you're not. <laughs> One of the things that you come away with with reading the Bible and specifically the book of Romans is you come away with this truth is that we're not right. We're not right. No one is right. We need someone to make us right. Amen? The fact of the matter is that God expects us to be right, but we are not. People try to be right, but they, they're trying to be right by various standards. And those standards can be uh, arrived at from all kinds of different places. They've got these various standards of what it, what it means to be right in that particular system. But God has set the standard of what it means to be right, what it means to be righteous. And what is that standard? It is 100% absolute perfection perfection. Amen? It is holiness. It is righteousness. So the question, I think, when you come to, and I don't think that everyone that comes to every religion asks this question. But they don't ask the question to their own detriment. How do I become right? How is it that I can become right? So we're going to look at this passage and we're going to see how really Israel kind of failed in their thinking. Paul really points out the failure of Israel's thinking and how we need to guard against falling into the same trap and and ultimately how righteousness is found. So let's take a look at this in Romans chapter 10. Two ways... To righteousness. Let's pick it up. Verse 1 of chapter 10 of Romans, it says this. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Righteousness is the goal. Righteousness is the goal. God's standard is righteousness, and that is absolute perfection. And so anything short of that is not going to cut it. Anything short of that standard is just not going to cut it. And so righteousness is... If any religion is worth anything, if any religion is worth its salt or whatever analogy you want to use, 
how is it going to make you right? And can it do that? Can it accomplish that? Paul starts here and repeats his feelings from chapter 9 about wanting Israel to be saved. Remember, last chapter, we talked about how he so wanted Israel to be saved, they had rejected uh, Christ, they had rejected you know, the, the way that, that, that Christ had made, and he literally said, look, I, I, I'm telling you the truth, I am, I am telling you the truth. I want Israel to be saved, and so much so that I wish that I could be cut off. If I could be cut off so that my brothers, Israel, could be saved, I would do it if that were something that were even possible. And so here he echoes that I I want Israel to be saved. Paul says, it's my heart's desire. Uh, And and this is is his desire. Verse 2, he says, for I I I do bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. He says, man, I want them to be saved, which is to say they're they're rejecting God, they're rejecting Christ, they're rejecting the plan. And he says, I I do give them this credit. I, I do give them this, they do have a zeal for God. But not according to knowledge. They have a zeal for God. Zeal, a zeal for God is a good thing. We need a zeal for God. There's, uh, my goodness, David had a zeal for God. Uh, Jesus had a zeal for, for God in, 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 the, in his humanity, right? There's a zeal that we need for God. And it's, well, this is the word zeal. It means excitement of mind, fervor of spirit, embracing, pursuing, and defending anything, zeal in behalf of or for a person or a thing. So having that, that excitement of mind, that fervor of spirit, that, that embracing, that, that pursuing, that defending of God. They had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They did not have knowledge. If, if you're going to be right, you need full knowledge. You need that type of knowledge that says, you know, when the, when the question comes, it's boom, you know, there's the answer. It's not like a figuring out. It's not like, let me Google that type of knowledge that, that, that we're depending upon so heavily in, in our day and age that we live in. Uh, we don't have to really necessarily learn everything because we've got our smartphones. We can just Google it. Then we got to trust Google to deliver to us the information, the correct websites, the correct page to give us that correct information. It's like kind of when you're going through your, your times tables when you're a kid. You know, when you're going through your times tables and you're learning them, they want you to learn them in such a way so that you're not sitting there going, okay, nine times six. Hmm, nine times six. Let me think about this. No, how you learn your times tables is you learn them so that you can just state them very quickly. I remember when I was in, I don't know what grade you do your times tables. Is it third? Third. Okay, third grade. I was in third grade, and I remember the teacher would have 100 times tables questions on a piece of paper, and then it would literally be a race, not only who could get it done first, but who could have the most you know, 
correct, right? So the idea was to be first and to be 100% correct. And so you just, you can't be sitting there figuring out. You can't, you know, you can't go nine times nine. What is that? You have to just, no, that's 81, right? That's 81, right? right. <laughs> See? <laughs> See, you knew that. You knew that, nine times nine. So you got to look at it. You got to know it. You got to have that knowledge. And what, what knowledge were they not, were they lacking? Paul points it out here. He says they were ignorant of God's righteousness. They did not have a grasp of God's righteousness. If they did have a, a grasp of God's righteousness, if they had that full knowledge of God's righteousness, they would have looked at the zeal they had for God and their quest to live by the law and realize that they were coming woefully short in their lives. They, they would realize that it, it, their quest for righteousness would be futile if they were depending upon that path that was only uh, them living it and, 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 and having to live it perfectly. They would have realized that that would have been futile. In fact, Paul has already made this argument. That's one of the principal arguments that Paul makes in the, in, in the introductory uh, chapters of this letter. Going back to Romans chapter 3, verse 20, I'll throw the verse up on the screen. He says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. So, you know, that is to say that there will, there will be no one that will ultimately be justified by keeping the law. Because if you have a full knowledge of God's righteousness, you look at the law and you look at yourself you realize that you've fallen short of the glory, that, you, that you've missed the mark, that, 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 that you don't measure up in that, that you don't, you don't quite hit the, the, the standard there. God has a righteous standard, and it, 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 it's a standard of perfection. Now, the Jews were, well, you could say that, I think Paul gave them a lot of credit saying that they had zeal for God. And I don't, I don't discount that, and I don't disagree with Paul. I'm not up here trying to disagree. Who am I to disagree with Paul, right? But, you know, there was an aspect to the zealousness where it was like they were zealous for God, but they were also zealous for themselves keeping the law and that they could actually do it. That like, here we are, we're the Jews, we have the law, we do the law, we're the ones that, you know, we keep the Sabbath, you know, we don't, we don't, not, we don't work on the Sabbath like all these, these pagans, you know, these Gentile people that don't know. And, and whatever it is, it could be the Sabbath, it could be any of the laws. They, they, they prided themselves, they had the zeal for the law, they had a zeal for God. And, 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 and you, I guess you could say it this way, that, that the Jews uh, were zealous for God in trying to establish their own righteousness by the law. They were trying to keep the law with their rituals and their traditions the, the zeal that they had for keeping the law was, was actually, Paul is saying, now keeping them from the righteousness they needed. It was keeping them, it was blinding them in a sense from having the full knowledge that they needed, the knowledge of the righteousness of God. Because if they, if they, if they looked at the law, if they looked at the righteousness of God, if they had that full knowledge, if they looked at, if God's 
knowledge was like, a, like that times table problem, nine times eight, they would have looked at it and said, 81, oh, 81. Wow, we're going to need another. There's got to be an ultimately another way. There's got to be another plan because we, we don't have 81 when we look at our righteousness, when we look at our own deeds, when we look at our own trying to keep the law. They were wrong in the way that they looked for righteousness in that sense. And so you could put it this way, in that sense, their zeal turned into disobedience. It turned into something that kept them from actually obeying the gospel. It kept them from obeying the gospel, from, from embracing Christ, from embracing. And that's why as a Christian, we, we understand and we have a zeal for Christ. Amen? We have a zeal for the gospel. We have a zeal for the grace of God. We have a zeal for, for Christ because, wow, he's the one that gives us the righteousness that we need by faith. And we'll look at that a little bit later here. So then Paul wraps up this little section of verses here. Look at that verse four. He says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For, so so it's, it's, he's saying all that and saying for, for, look, look at all this. They had a zeal for God. It was keeping them from, from having full knowledge of, of, of the righteousness of God and their own situation before God. And, and it was futile to try to, to, to grasp hold of righteousness in that way. And that the, there, there's got to be something else. And what they miss, he says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Christ is the end of the law. You say, end of the law? The end of the law? The goal of the law. Christ is, 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 is the goal of the law. <laughs> Paul, put it, Paul put it this way in, in, in Galatians, right? He said, the, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. He says, he says it's, it's, it, you know, it's the word pedagogue. It's our schoolmaster. It's, our, it's, it's, it's that, that schoolmaster that would say, you know, hey, you, you need, you need, what you need is over here. What you need is over here. And his name is Jesus. Mm-hmm. When you look in the law, if you come to that full knowledge, Paul would say full knowledge of the righteousness of God and looking into the law would bring you to Christ. The law is our schoolmaster our teacher, to bring us to Jesus Christ. Amen? So Christ is the goal of the law. Christ is the end of the law. And Christ is the way to righteousness and salvation. Amen? So then he goes into where he contrasts. He contrasts the two righteousnesses, the two ways. Righteousness by the law and righteousness by faith. Right? So let's pick it up, verse 5. He says this, for Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? that the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. So here, Paul 
contrasts the two ways of righteousness, the two paths, if you will, of righteousness. Moses writes about the righteousness of the law, and this is what they knew. This is what they had. But he says, what of that? He says, and this is where he quotes from the law. He quotes from Moses to tell how you were to be righteous by the law. He says, the man who does those things shall live by them. In other words, if you're going out, if you're going after righteousness by the law, then you have to live by the law and you have to do it perfect. You have to live by the law. If you want to live, if you want to be right by the law, you have got to do all that is in the law. And anyone who sets out to do that should quickly learn, if, you're being, if anyone's being honest with themselves, should very quickly learn that that's an impossibility. And so there are two paths to righteousness, but what we find is one of them is completely impossible <laughs> for man. And this is what Israel didn't know. And this is what I think, I think if, you, if, if you realize this as a person, I think you're, 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 th- you're this close to, to, just, to, to Jesus. <laughs> I think when people get to that place, when it's like, this is impossible, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it on my own. I'm not going to make it. It's an impossibility. No one can do it. People try. They think they can achieve salvation through their works. They they do these good. And you say, oh, Charles, do you really believe? Yes, there are people out here that are really kind of trying to notch things, you know, trying to balance out the scales, you know, if you literally go out on the streets and, and get people's theology, if you ask questions and arrive at what people's actual theology is, it's amazing. It is amazing. The, 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 the average person has this view of like, you know, these cosmic scales. And somehow, you know, I got I to gotta gotta outweigh the bad deeds in my life with as many good deeds as I can pile in over here on this side of the scales. And maybe one day I'm going to get it to where, oh, good, I, out, I, 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 I measured it out. I brought it into balance. I made it. The bottom line is there is a set of scales. And you're never going to bring up the, you're never going to bring it up. You're never going to bring it up. The only way you can do it is by accepting Christ and he brings it up and then he asks you to live your life in accordance with the, yes. with the balance of the scales that he has balanced for you. So the living of the Christian life is living in reaction to for Christ having done it all for us. Amen? The law... The law it, it is so impossible, it is so impossible for, the, for anyone to keep the law and to actually achieve righteousness by the law that it is, it's actually like kind of in the law. <laughs> in Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, I'll throw it out on the screen. It says this, Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. 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 What? 
there's literally, there's a curse if one does not confirm all the words of this law by, by doing them. All of them. And I think, I think what God said, and all the people shall say, amen, okay, okay, well then there's got to be another way. I think all this is here, there's got to be another way, and there's another way. There's another way, and his name is Jesus, amen? amen. So that's the, that's the righteousness by the law, and then he contrasts it with the righteousness by faith. That there's a righteousness that comes by faith in Christ, the righteousness comes by, 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 from Christ that we put our faith in Christ and in the righteousness of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that we're putting our faith in some type of, in faith. <laughs> you actually hear this, actually. Believe it or not, it's all, every crazy teaching that you could come up with, there's a whole church out there, and that's what they're preaching. You run into this stuff. Like having faith in faith, Right? I, I kid you not. I, I, I don't, I don't want to call out any names. I'm not going to name names. I did that a couple times in my ministry. You know, I name names. And then I'd always have somebody come up to me after the service. You were hard on so-and-so. Well, you know, shouldn't be going around teaching that type of stuff, right? <laughs> oh. But anyways... The righteousness by faith. Paul says the righteousness by faith, it is not of, it is not of course, it does not of course mean that the, the faith creates the righteousness of which Paul writes. So he gives a couple examples here. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will ascend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Okay, so what is he saying there? You got it? What he's saying there is the faith isn't, oh, we're going to go out there, we're going to have faith, and we're going to bring Christ down from heaven. We're going to find him. We're going to find him. We're going to go down into the depths. We're, we, you know, faith, we were the ones we could go down and, 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 and bring Christ up from the dead. No, he's saying that's not the faith. The faith is, he says, verse eight, but what does it say? But what does it say? So I want to take you back to the place in Deuteronomy where this is, where Paul's actually quoting from, all right? It is actually found in Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning at verse 11, okay? I will not have it on the screen for you. Sorry about that. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But verse 14, but the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. Who will ascend into heaven? If I go to the heavens and I find God, I will be saved. Who will descend into the abyss of the depths, over the sea, 
into the depths of the water. Did you have any, any part in bringing Christ back from the dead? No. Stop thinking about trying to be acceptable to God because of your works. We are not saved because of keeping the law, of doing works. We do not keep the law in order to be saved. We keep the law because we are saved. Amen? And so righteousness, how is it that righteousness can be found? Well, let's pick it back up in the text. I'll, I'll begin at verse 8. But what does it say? Quoting from Deuteronomy 30 again. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is, to, is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so you're not going to go up into the heavens. You're not going to climb the tallest mountain. You're not going to go to Nepal. And, and, and go up some tiny staircase and sit and find God. You're not going to go to the depths. You're not going to do any of this. How do I find righteousness by faith? Where is it then? Deuteronomy 30, verse 14. I'll put it on the screen. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. Do what? The word is near you. You don't have to go looking for it. You don't have to go across the ocean. You don't have to go up to the heights. You don't have to go to the depths. It's in your mouth. It's that close. What's that close? The faith that you need, the salvation that you need, it's right there. And that's where Paul comes in. He says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how you're saved. This is part of the Romans road to salvation, right? This is, you should know these verses. Tonight, we're in a text that we should know, Christian. Romans 10, 9 and 10, amen? Right. Romans 10, 9 and 10. For, for if you confess with your mouth, <laughs> Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confession is, in the Bible, in the New Testament, the word confession is the, is the, it's the act of agreeing. It's agreement. When you confess your sins to God, you're agreeing with God that you've sinned. God's sitting there saying, yeah, you sinned. And you're coming to God saying, you're right, God, I sinned. And here's where I sinned. Here's where I missed the mark. Confess your sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, if we, if, if we confess, we agree, God, I've sinned and here's where I missed the mark. He's faithful and just to forgive you. Amen? That same confession is the beginning of salvation, but it's the confession that Jesus is Lord. It's agreeing with the presentation of God through his son, Jesus Christ. And the scripture and the prophets and those that spoke of him and what they said about him. And what did they say? 
that he would be the mighty God, that he'd be the prince of peace, that the, that the government would be upon his shoulder, that he would have a kingdom, that he would come, and that he would be this suffering servant, that he would take the, the chastisement of our peace would upon, be upon him. He would take the iniquity of the world and he would take it upon his own self. To believe, to agree that Jesus is Lord. To agree that Jesus is Lord. And see, there, there, there must be that agreement. This is not an act of, of, a, of linguistics. Amen? It's in your mouth, but it's that confession of faith. Right? It's the, it's the agreement that Jesus is Lord. It's the agreement. And I want to pr press this one step further tonight. It's not only the agreement that he is Lord, but it's the agreement that he's Lord of my life. Salvation is coming in to the, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, amen? You know, Paul put it this way in, Rome, in uh, Philippians 2, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that, 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 that God has given him a name that is above every name, a name that's above every name, and that every knee will come. So, the you know preachers have been saying this for two thousand years. Preachers have been saying, "Hey, bow the knee now. Come under the lordship of Jesus now, because one way or the other, every knee is going to bow." You know those in the who is Jesus trailer, Dawkins and Hitchens and. Sam Harris and all the rest of them, Bill Maher. Every tongue, every, every knee will bow. And so, is he your Lord? Is he your Lord? Now think about that. Is he your Lord? And so you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now, one commentary I read got into this whole thing of, as to why Paul only focused on the resurrection in this statement, where he says, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Now, wait, but what about the cross? What about the burial? And this particular commentator wrote this answer to that, and I tend to agree with it that in his statement of believing in the resurrection is the encompassing of the entire story of the gospel. It's not to the exclusion of the cross and the burial, but it's including the cross and the burial and the resurrection. Because if he was raised from the dead, he died on Friday. That's right. He was crucified, buried, and then he came out of that grave on Sunday. And so if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, in other words, if you believe the gospel, if you put your trust in the gospel, the fact that Jesus died for sinners, that Jesus died for your sin, that he was buried and he spent three days in that tomb and he came out of that tomb and he is alive, that he has been raised to life. If you believe in the gospel, 
If you confess Jesus is Lord and you believe in the gospel, what? You will be saved. You will be saved. So how, 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 how can I be saved? How can I get to righteousness? Through the law? No, the law is a teacher. The, law is a, the end of the law is Christ. And Christ is the one that does it for us. Amen? Amen. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. These two together. With the heart, with the heart one believes unto righteousness. With your heart you believe unto righteousness. You believe upon these things, you confess these things, and the righteousness of God is given to you. Amen? And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. These two together result in righteousness and salvation. Amen? These two together. This is the only way to be right. This is the only way. The other way, there's two ways. There's two ways. There's one way that no one will ever go that way. <laughs> we already read the verse, right? In, Re in Re Romans 3.20. No one will be justified by the law. No one will stand in glory in the presence. No flesh will glory in the presence of God. Right? So we know no one's going that way. There's only one way. Doesn't matter who you are. Paul goes on. Doesn't matter who you are. Jew, Greek, doesn't matter what family you're part of. Doesn't matter what your situation is. Doesn't matter what your socioeconomic standing is. Don't ma doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. And see, in some ways, the Jews had, had turned their unique calling into kind of a, an ethnic supremacy in that sense. And Paul, Paul closes this off with the, the quote from Joel 2, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So God does it all. God does it all. There's one thing you have to do. Call. Call on the name. Call on the name. Confess. With your mouth, the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. And that is the way to righteousness. Amen? And the more, I'm going to close with this statement, the more that you as a Christian study and know the gospel of Jesus Christ and know in your heart and in your mind what it took to get you to righteousness, That will be a guard against any self-righteousness and pride creeping in and haughty spirit and looking it down, but realizing, wow, I'm thankful for Jesus. <laughs> I thank God for Jesus. I thank God that I know Jesus 